Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Hey, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, folks. It's the one and only V, the Grill Economist, coming to you live on this edition of Rogue News in the morning with my main man, CJ, working the airwaves, making sure the broadcast is coming out crispy and clean. You know what we mean. Check us out, roguenews.com. It is the nexus point, the jump-off hub for all things geoeconomic, geostrategic, geopolitical. And also make sure you check out our paid sponsors, mycbdedibles.com, mycbdedibles.com. For all your CBD edible goodness, and the man that we have on today for the hour is the one and only Velas, and you can get him on the Discord. If you need to get onto the Rogue News Discord channel, make sure you email CJ at CJ at RogueNews.com, CJ at RogueNews.com, and he will send you the link to join, where Velas puts on an absolute masterclass of information and uh, analysis. And with that being said, Velas, what's up, buddy? How are you? I'm good. How are you both doing? I'm doing better, man. I'm hanging in there, you know. Doing all right, man. Doing all right. Doing as well as we can, you know. <laughs> well, there's lots going on. There we is. had a Hanoi-like event in Bagram. We had a a, uh, a withdrawal of the forces of Exceptional Stan as Exceptional Stan has made a mockery of itself on the global stage yet again. And after 20 years, the Taliban, who once said, America has all the clocks, but we have all the time, are now back in power. It was, I don't even know where to start with that. I mean, for, for months, all the big policy wonks have been talking about the fact that one of the worst kept secrets in the Middle East was the U.S. and others were talking to the Taliban about yeah. some kind of smooth, orderly transition uh, or power sharing agreement or similar, but yeah, I, dear God, it's like 75 all over again in Saigon, mm -hmm. except this time we didn't tell anybody we were leaving. We just left. Yeah. Um, and of course, as we've all been exchanging on, uh, our own little, uh, chat board amongst ourselves, the, uh, you know, everybody on the, on the bordering countries, including the stands, uh, Tajikistan and Uzbekistan and others, uh, are all beefing up their borders as is Iran. Yep. Uh, because everyone's trying to avoid spillover in either direction from from what just went down. Oh, it's, it, 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 you know, I've always likened the U.S. foreign policy. I always give this uh, this analogy. I said the United States foreign policy is like, is like this. Picture your home. It's a beautiful Saturday morning. The sun is shining. The birds are singing. And you're sitting there watching television. Perhaps a ball game is on. And you have yourself a bowl of popcorn, maybe some chips, pork rinds, and you're drinking a cold beer. And all of a sudden, you hear a screeching sound outside, and all of a sudden, a Humvee just plows through your petunia gardens directly into your front yard. Then, quickly and very fast, the, your front door gets knocked down. A bunch of U.S. troops come in. They kick your dog. They punch your wife. They throw your kids <laughs> against the wall. They eat all the food that's in your refrigerator, take a dump in the middle of your living room, knock you out, and then peel out in their Humvees destroying your garden again from another angle on the way out. And that, my friends, is U.S. foreign policy in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, what was it, a trillion dollars or more we spent 
on that, not to mention the human human lives lost on, Two, on all 2.7 trillion that we know about. Unofficial numbers are probably north of over $5 trillion. Isn't that wonderful? That's good investment right there. Well, and I remember uh, I was still in D.C. in those days. I still remember bumping into people at the at the Reagan or Dulles Airport talking about the contracts they were working in country and the, the labor rates they were getting paid just for the risk and everything else was was through the ceiling. But I mean, it's the same mistake we made in Iraq. You, you had locals you could have you could have leveraged or, or others, but it always went to U.S. U.S. firms. It's like our friend from. Uh, confessions of an economic hitman where we loan money to certain countries through the IMF and the World Bank and make sure it goes to our corporations. Yep, absolutely correct, man. And you know, it is uh the crazy thing is is right now it's it's it, in, in in Iraq as we're we're talking, it's like open season on US troops that are currently in Iraq. Um yeah. it's it's a joke. I mean we are a, this is a joke we're talking about a country that can't even patch potholes in some of its states, right? We're talking about a country where any sort of infrastructure deal is, is going to be, it's, it, it's not going to happen. And we're over there supposedly rebuilding countries. We don't understand. You know, when I look at the entire Afghan situation, it is not only the, the direct result of idiotic, moronic neocons and neolibs, but also the analysts that are on the field. These are the twinks who have graduated from Harvard and Yale and Princeton, and they think they know something about warfare. And you and you look at Afghanistan; it is grossly mismanaged. A great deal of money was wasted, and for the profiteering of a few, it is disgusting to see this. And you know, the best part of this whole entire thing, fellas, is that the entire world sees what a joke the United States is on a global scale. Not only are we an unreliable ally, like I've seen the footage of of uh, of the battles that are taking place on the outskirts of Kabul, where Afghan governmental forces, which when Trump was there, he did have a deal in place for an orderly transition and a joint government. Well, that's been shot to pieces. And now it's looking like the area is going to devolve into a civil war. It's crazy. Well, and civil wars in Afghanistan don't last all that long because usually by then the Pakistani ISI has straightened out what they want to see happen. But, you know, and along with this, we have the events in Haiti and then Cuba just yesterday some of which are highly suspect, but, but yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a whole group of people in the region that are going to have to stabilize this. Um, the other thing too, and, and not to be too uh, unkind to the United States, because let's recall the people making those foreign policy decisions are not the folks who should be, um, you know, and Afghanistan is a geologist's dream. Uh, there oh, are yeah, rare earth minerals and other things there. I remember being in discussions with people talking about, um, using the same types of vehicles used in both Australia and South Africa. Because the, 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 the point that was brought up was there's no roads and the entire country is a landmine. And it's like, yes, however, uh, if you use vehicles that sit up high enough, yeah, which already exist and this type of mining has been done, you could start extracting those resources. And the, the country could be quite wealthy, but you have too many vested interests in that region you know, it's like what we've talked about when it comes to South America and Colombia. You have too many yeah. interests in that region who do not want to see Afghanistan ever stabilized. And, of course, there was a political cartoon out the other day that showed um, a Roman legionnaire's helmet uh, sitting on a, on a post. Next to that was um, – uh, what do you, or before that was the Greeks, then yep. the Romans, then yep. the English, then the Russians, then us, and then – there was a there was a post with nothing on it. It was a sign saying now available. <laughs> <laughs> a graveyard of empires. Indeed. Well, let me run into some some of the other stuff I had here. I yeah. was gonna cover with all of you today. And again, apologies on our not being able to make the show last Friday. So you're getting uh, Harley and myself today. Um, a lot of the housekeeping stuff I normally do on the show, I posted on Discord last night. So not on discord you probably want to get on discord and those of you that are there just look for the hashtag bellis uh, page because I, I posted all that content there we just were not going to have time for it uh today uh my thanks to valentina uh with a correction on something i said on the last show about um various countries inheriting debts and so on um soviet union did not inherit imperial russia's debts but the russian state after 1991 did inherit uh the debts of the soviet union i was incorrect on that 
uh, and they did pay those off in uh, 2017. We do not have answers on the Nashville thermobaric explosion last December, nor the French OVH cloud fire from last March. Uh, Julian Assange is still in prison, and we don't know what happened to Jeff Epstein, nor John McAfee, for that matter. <laughs> um, some of you may be aware about uh, the cyber polygon was held last week. Um, this matters because the World Economic Forum uh, sponsors these. Uh, they hold them each year, these simulations. It's an annual training event and simulation for various private sector and government people to take part in to um, better improve their cybersecurity uh, operations. Uh, what's important about the uh, Polygon simulation held last week is, is that the topic for that one was what would happen in a global power grid failure. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah, well, I would point out there uh, one of the prior topics that Cyber Polygon has covered uh, included what would happen if there's a global pathogen. So I'm, I'm not saying that they know what's coming. I'm just saying. <laughs> so they're going to shut off our power and then hit us with a, with a, a stronger strain of God knows what. Well, no, I don't think they could hit us with another virus because then then can't tell us about it because you can't turn on your TV. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Good Gotta point there. The they'll, they'll make sure they'll make sure the electricity's out, but somehow miraculously there'll be just enough juice to turn on your television set. <laughs> so, also last week we had the uh, Sun Valley uh, Media Conference out in Idaho. Uh, there were quite a few articles about that. The conference was not held in 2020 due to the coof. Um, the thing I wanted to point out is, is that that conference uh, in Sun Valley that many of you saw with the media celebrities, and, and they are executives and celebrities, um, it's hosted by Allen & Company out of New York. And Allen & Company is a boutique private investment firm. There's very little known about them. Uh, they've always had kind of a policy of secrecy since 1922 when they were uh, founded. And many of you have seen in the news, you know, the names of the folks that were there. You had uh, Nadella. And uh, Netflix's Reed Hastings and Bezos and Tim Cook and the list goes on. You also had some private sector folks like Disney CEO Bob, Bob Chapek and others. Um, but again, the thing I wanted to point out was is that um, Allen and Company is behind that, that media event each year. And the other attendees include um, intelligence leaders from the CIA and the NSA. And uh, some of you saw the Babylon Bee cartoon uh, about Tucker Carlson's toaster assuring him that there's nothing going on. Yep. Um, I thought it'd be worthwhile, though, to point out that uh, one or two of the alumni of Allen and Company include George Tennant, the CIA director or former CIA director, and uh, Dara Koshiro, I'm going to mispronounce this, Koshiro Shahi, the CEO of Uber. So yeah. the rotating door once again. Um, keep your eyes, folks, on the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. I still stand by my position. Somehow, someway, they're going to find a way to, to get this thing closed out without any kind of discovery or court hearings. Um, but there's some stuff starting to pop up out there in the ether uh, about more revelations about she and Jeff Epstein's connections to the Saudis. Right. Um, and, and also the fact that he used uh, satanic incantations and spells. Did you hear about that one? I saw that one, yes. <laughs> so while the while people's attention are being distracted by head fakes on, you know, unfortunately, the horrific events concerning the kids that were involved in this, the part that's still being kind of kept from prying eyes is the who, if you will, of the laundering and related. So we'll see if that uh, shows, shows any light down the tunnel. Also wanted to raise, um, speaking of power outages and similar, I wanted to touch on the topic of microgrids for those of you who may or may not be aware of what these are. There are small geographically localized power grids within the larger power grid. I started seeing this in my past life when I was working with firms who um, produce not just backup generators, but kind of a, a midpoint, if you will. You've got the big generators you use for your power company. And then you've got the smaller ones that sometimes you see outside office buildings and stuff that have got maybe 100 or not even 100, maybe 50 or 60 gallons of diesel fuel just to help the, the building maintain power long enough for people to shut themselves down. What I'm talking about are generators that are kind of in the, in the middle. And um, they're multi-fuel uh, as well. Uh, they can operate on a wide variety of fuels, including um, gases that come out of uh, landfills. So hmm. it makes them fairly flexible. Um, these are used in a wide variety of, of environments. Now, the, the generators themselves will usually power a building or a campus. By campus, I mean either academic or you know government buildings or what have you. 
the microgrids are where you tie those together so that they can um, kind of share power with each other uh, and help you keep running even if you lose uh, the main grid. This is kind of the same concept as water towers where uh, late at night water is pumped into the tower when pressure is higher and costs are lower. And then during the day, gravity does its job and, and you know, the tower supplies water to either community or factory or whatever it might be. Um, so for day-to-day -day operations, these aren't just for backup. Uh, sometimes the power grid is going to cost you more than using your own microgrid. So yeah. given the challenges with many national power grids, this is uh, projected to grow in importance. And again, this isn't much for any of you with a home or an apartment, but it is an interesting fallback to keep things running with the kinds of problems we saw in Texas just a few months ago. So from an investing standpoint, the firms that operate in this space are companies like INIO, uh, I-N-N-I-O, which is out of Austria. They also own the, the uh, former independent Waukesha brand out of Wisconsin. Both of those guys actually used to be part of GE Power before uh, it was spun off back into its own independent entity again. Caterpillar, Cummins, Generac, Kohler, company called High Power, and Taylor mm. Power Systems. But I've been reading a lot of articles about this topic, and especially in the Midwest and in the South. Um, a lot of these, these factories and so on are kind of having conversations with each other saying, well, how could we build a shared arrangement with each other to, to draw power? So something worth keeping an eye on. Um, with that, uh, CJ, if you would, could you pull up the clip? Yeah, that one. And before we play that, <clears throat> this is one of those science fiction uh, things again, folks, but just bear with me. This is from the, the Babylon 5 um, science fiction show. This scene that's about to play is two great powers that are billions of years old are trying to force younger races into um, picking sides, if you will, on which of their philosophies is correct. This particular conversation this character is about to have is with, with the shadows who um, they seek out conflict and other things. Um, CJ, can you uh, blow that up just a little bit? Cool. And hit play if you would. The others, the ones who live here, believe that strength only comes from conflict. They want to release our potential, not bottle it up. It's really simple. You bring two sides together, they fight. A lot of them die. But those who survive are stronger, smarter, and better. It's like knocking over an anthill. Every new generation gets stronger. The anthill gets redesigned, made better. <clears throat> so that's what the shadows do. Come out every few thousand years and kick over all the anthills, start wars, destroy entire races. A few get lost along the way. Yes, and that's unfortunate. I don't think it was ever easy, but you can't let that get in the way of the dream. Think about it, Captain. Look at the long history of human struggle. 6,000 years of recorded wars, bloodshed, atrocities beyond description. But look at what came out of all of that. We've gone to the stars, split the atom, written sonnets. We never would have come this far if we hadn't been at each other's throats, evolving our way up inch by inch everything depends on getting the other races to fight each other to create conflict in order to promote growth and evolution evolution will be served one way or another that's all so uh, if that's the case then we should be the damn smartest most brilliant country on god's green earth man well, the, the uh, representatives there of the of the shadows uh, talking to Captain Sheridan, um, boy, they sound like globalists. Of course, uh, yeah. Every every, I mean, listen to that one line. Everything depends on getting the other races to fight one another. Well, that's pretty much twenty twenty. And then his opening line there, where he says, "Many are going to die, but we can't let that get in the way of the dream." I think I mean, John Bolton helped write that script. Well, it's it's like you're attending the Sun Valley meeting. Yeah. <laughs> Bunch of hubris-filled morons. And then uh, 
CJ, if you play the other clip, this this one is from a much maligned movie, uh, My Dinner with Andre. Um, but it's one of those films that, like, when you actually watch it, it's like, wait a minute, this tells the truth, and they're not they're not letting us hear it. Go ahead and play that. Why do you think that is? I mean, why is that? I mean, is it just because people are are lazy today, or they're bored? I mean, are we just like bored, spoiled children who've just been lying in the bathtub all day, just? playing with their plastic duck and now they're just thinking well what can i do okay yes we are bored we're all bored now but has it ever occurred to you wally that the process that creates this boredom that we see in the world now may very well be a self-perpetuating unconscious form of brainwashing created by a world totalitarian government based on money and that all of this is much more dangerous than one thinks. And it's not just a question of individual survival, Wally, but that somebody who's bored is asleep and somebody who's asleep will not say no. See, I keep meeting these people. I mean, uh, just a few days ago, I met this man whom I greatly admire. He's a Swedish physicist, Gustav Bjornstrand. And he told me that he no longer watches television, he doesn't read newspapers, and he doesn't read magazines. He's completely cut them out of his life because he really does feel that we're living in some kind of Orwellian nightmare now and that everything that you hear now contributes to turning you into a robot. Mm -hmm. When I was at Findhorn, I met this extraordinary English tree expert who had devoted his life to saving trees. Just got back from Washington, lobbying to save the Redwoods. He's 84 years old. He always travels with a backpack because he never knows where he's going to be tomorrow. And when I met him at Findhorn, he said to me, where are you from? And I said, New York. He said, ah, New York. Yes, that's a very interesting place. Do you know a lot of New Yorkers who keep talking about the fact that they want to leave but never do? And I said, oh, yes. And he said, why do you think they don't leave? I gave him different banal theories. He said, oh, I don't think it's that way at all. He said, I think that New York is the new model for the new concentration camp, where the camp has been built by the inmates themselves, and the inmates are the guards, and they have this pride in this thing they've built. They've built their own prison, and so they exist in a state of schizophrenia where they are wow. both guards and prisoners, and as a result, they no longer have, having been lobotomized, the capacity to leave the prison they've made or to even see it as a prison. And then he went into his pocket and he took out a seed for a tree and he said, this is a pine tree. He put it in my hand and he said, escape before it's too late. See, actually for two or three years now, Chiquita and I have had this very unpleasant feeling that we really should get out. And we really should feel like Jews in Germany in the late 30s. Get out of here. Of course, the problem is where to go because it seems quite obvious that the whole world is going in the same direction. See, I think it's quite possible that the 1960s represented the last burst of the human being before he was extinguished. And that this is the beginning of the rest of the future now. And that from now on, there'll simply be all these robots walking around, feeling nothing, thinking nothing. And there'll be nobody left almost to remind them that there once was a species called a human being with feelings and thoughts. And that history and memory are right now being erased, and soon nobody will really remember that life existed on the planet. Wow. Now, that's a very New York esoteric literary kind of film. You know, you need your sport it, it, jacket. It's so with true, man. It's like when you watch that, however. But yeah, his comment about New York City has become the prison and really the is. inmates are the guards. Then nobody leaves. You know, that's the funny thing. I've had this conversation with so many people that are in, in New York. They're like, oh, where am I going to go? They'll complain about it. They'll hate it. They're like, crime through the roof. Oh, my God. But nobody leaves. It's crazy. Well, and it's like it's like the conversation we had with with Frank, who who he and others we still have to help them get out of Frank. Quite frankly, help him get out of get out. Yeah, we got to get him out of there. But yeah, I mean, and those those two clips to me are the first one definitely is is a is a synthesis of like you know from a science fiction perspective of of the philosophy of the globalists. I don't care how many people we have to kill in order to create a utopia. This is what we're going to do. And then this film, which is 1981. Wow. But is is talking about about deep esoteric kind of con content that we've discussed here on Rogue. Other other platforms have said the same thing about, you know, what's what's going on. Um, how how is it possible that people just allow themselves to go to sleep so easily without without any any fighting back or anything else? 
So that's enough of my, my dinner with Andre, because that's enough in one sitting for any for anybody. So with that, I'll I'll move on to the victories. Um the Vela section, hashtag Vela's on July 5th. I posted uh for the school for the school victories, I posted a very long list of citations um proving the history around the Marxist background of critical race theory. So for any of you who want that content, it's it's out there. Um, in the medical space, and certainly Walmart is certainly not uh, ground zero in positive things that I tend to cover, um, but uh, Walmart is actually making lower cost insulin available. And for those of you who, who again, oh, may or may good. not be familiar with this, um, insulin's kind of a problem uh, in a lot of ways. Um, there are insurance programs that do not cover it. Uh, they seem to cover everything else but and when the COVID thing came out, uh, a lot of folks were saying, hey, uh, I don't understand, you know, the government is subsidized, you know, you hear the shots are free. Well, they are from a certain standpoint because the government's paying for them, but we're not providing insulin. Um, the other thing, too, is, is it often has to be refrigerated. And for folks I know who uh, need insulin, uh, getting a large supply, speaking of power grid outages and similar, uh, is difficult. So it was good to see that at least Walmart, for whatever reason, has started to try and, um, what do you call it, take a shot at, at helping reduce the costs for those who need it. Um, the other thing is just to point out again that even even Fox News has been revealed of late uh, to show that even they can't discuss our friends in the pharma industry, the, um, what do you call it, the film clip we saw out of Project Veritas recently where the uh, the woman reporter, I think she's from Florida, where her superiors were telling her, do you not do you not understand who contributes money to this network? Um, so how is that a victory? Well, it's a victory in the, in the, from the standpoint that we're, we now know and we now are aware of the degree to which those, those folks have a degree to which they're also compromised. Um, from the disclosure standpoint, uh, Ryan Dawson over at the Conscious Resistance, he's over on, on BitChute, among other places, He's got a 16-part documentary coming out called The Pyramid of Power. It's his own foray into breaking down global structures, who runs what, their various objectives. Uh, part one has been released, and the rest are, are forthcoming, and you can find that over at um, BitChute. And then uh, do check out the link I posted from Joe Rogan on July 5th at hashtag Bellis on Discord, uh, where they were discussing the working conditions at um, Amazon. One of the guests that was part of that discussion was talking about how uh, Jeff Bezos felt all hourly workers are lazy, and it's why he actually wants to encourage turnover at his uh, facilities. And then last but not least, um, from the category of other, uh, Norway has discovered a few paint of the um, windmill blades for power generation, whether it's a, a two or three or four blade system. If you paint one of the blades black, they found that you can reduce bird strikes by 70%, um, which is a very positive thing. So from there, now we need to work on the radar, radar echoes that those are causing for, uh, for aircraft. Um, I also came across a quote from uh, Carl Sagan, uh, the astronomer. Some of you might remember his uh, program back in the 80s or the, the rebroadcasts in the 90s of his science program that was on uh, PBS. Um, Carl Sagan was involved in, in a number of our probes uh, that went into space and uh, the Voyager discs and so on. Uh, he was involved since the beginning with NASA and a lot of those things. He published a book back in 1997, which is 24 years ago, called The Demon Haunted World. And um, the quote I wanted to give all of you is the following. Science is more than a body of knowledge. It's a way of thinking. I have a foreboding of an America in my children's or grandchildren's time when the United States is a service and information economy, when nearly all key manufacturing industries have slipped away to other countries, when awesome technological powers are in the hands of a very few, and no one representing the public interest can even grasp the issues, when people have lost the ability to set their own agendas or knowledgeably question those in authority, when clutching our crystals and nervously consulting our horoscopes our critical faculties are in decline, unable to distinguish between what feels good and what is true. We slide almost without noticing back into superstition and darkness. The dumbing down of America is most evident in the slow decay of substantive content in the enormously influential media. 
This 30 second soundbite has now become a 10 second soundbite or less. Lowest common denominator programming, credulous presentations on pseudoscience and superstition, but especially a kind of celebration of ignorance. As I write this book, the number one video cassette rental in America is Dumb and Dumber, and Beavis and Butthead remain popular and influential. The plain lesson is that study and learning, not just of science, but of anything, are now being branded as avoidable and even undesirable, unquote. 1997. <laughs> I don't know. So let's... Let's talk about nursing for a bit. I've yeah. I posted some of this on the Discord page, and I've been mentioning I was gonna I was gonna raise this. Um, I've had some direct experience with the following. I've also had experience with a number of different medical uh, institutions, if you will. And some of you may be aware of this. Some of you may be aware of pieces of it. But I just wanted to cover this topic. There's a phrase we've often heard for years across the United States about whether it's, you know, teachers or nurses, that it's like, oh, they're always looking for good teachers or they're always looking for good nurses. Um, but that's not really a true depiction of what we're dealing with right now. And part of this, in my opinion, is a self-inflicted wound. Um, and I'm sure people smarter than me can draw a factual understanding of, of how HMOs, health management organizations, caused this shift years ago, back in the 90s, when that, that became a thing. So during the events that were prior to and following March of 2020, many medical organizations, nurses, uh, had to start putting in a lot of overtime as well as doctors. And this was due to the unknowns about the medical matter we were, we were trying to treat, uh, training on treatment approaches, and a host of other things that were consuming time. And from a number of open source articles that are out there, as well as conversations I've had uh, with folks in that industry, the, the number one culprit was burnout. Um, staff found themselves often contacted by the personnel department right after completing a shift or near to completing a shift. I had, I had many people tell me this, where they said, look, if you take another eight hour shift, uh, we'll waive the rules about your hours and we'll pay you 20 or 30% uh, more per hour. If you agree now in the beginning, folks, folks took it because, you know, you, you made a lot more money doing that, but there's only so much the human body, uh, can handle. Um, and I've worked in industries where that happened and the same kind of burnout occurred. So right now what we have is some medical organizations due to state or union rules are now allowing a large number of people to take time off because they weren't able to do it in 2020. That's had an impact. There's been a large number of resignations uh, of nursing and medical folks. Now I've had people ask me that I know, well, where are they going? Um, there's a couple of interesting places they're going. Uh, they're working for insurance companies, for one thing, because you're either a licensed medical professional or you've worked in that industry or what have you, so you're very valuable to insurance companies, as well as academia and other, um, other places where they have found work. Um, there's also delays right now with the medical schools due to the impact we saw in academia due to the events back in 2020. So that's becoming a challenge as far as getting new folks into um, – new folks in into the workforce. Um, the other thing too that I've heard from a number of folks is uh, depending on where you live, certain larger cities have been trying to draw folks out of the Midwest or other areas with higher rates of pay or similar to, to bolster uh, the challenges they've had. And the reason for my bringing this up is, is that there were serious challenges in the medical community prior to spring of 2020. It was a perfect storm waiting to happen. But that event pushed things over the edge. And the degree to which the industry has corrective measures available to them are kind of limited, uh, in part not to go there, but in part because of profitability. Um, as we've probably you know seen in the news and so on, the elective surgeries in most cases are how medical organizations tend, tend to make their money, uh, especially when health management organizations and so on are involved and, and profitability is only certain areas. Emergency rooms are just, it's a, I don't mean this in a literal sense, but I'm just using it for reference. Emergency rooms are like a bleeding wound. Emer you don't make any money off emergency rooms. Emergency rooms are how you triage and move patients where they, where they need to go. But when more and more patients were coming into the emergency room to be diagnosed as to whether or not they had um, the COOF uh, and similar, uh, it created massive backlogs and, and burned out those, those personnel. So my reason for raising this is not just in awareness, but if any of you out there have loved ones that may need medical care, or if you should find yourself 
you know, um, where you need need to get to an emergency room or similar. Now might be a good a good opportunity to go take a look and see which of the medical providers in your area are are managing that well and which which are struggling. Because I can assure you, most I've seen, and I've spoken to folks from from the east to the west coast, and they've all told me the same thing um, that it's it's a stretch. And sometimes time of day uh, is going to play a role. Uh, sometimes not. Uh, some medical organizations I've known who who uh, were doing quite well. Uh, are now having horrendous, horrendous challenges. So I know going to an emergency room is not necessarily anything that folks like plan on. That's the whole, <laughs> whole point is, is it was unintended. But it's probably worth taking a look if you have a chance, uh, just so that you're aware of, of what your local providers can and cannot do. So with that, V and CJ thoughts, input? You know, you made a lot of interesting points, uh, for sure, um, and it raises a lot of questions and things for people to keep an eye on as the days are falling off the calendar, man. Yeah, definitely good points. So that was that was what I had for today. <laughs> so if we want to go open forum, we can. But I don't. Want yeah, to let's go open forum. If uh, anybody have any questions, um, you can please uh, post that directly into the live chat, and uh, we can go through it. And, and Koga Pat, as always, thank you for uh, your content. Several other folks have reached out to me on uh, on Discord with some questions and things. Yeah, I can't wait to get to the bottom of the goings on in Haiti because I don't know. It just, at least right now, everything seems to keep pointing to the fact that um, he, the president of the country, was somehow involved in either laundering of drug money mm -hmm. uh, or owed money for drug money, something <laughs> something along those lines. But I, I, I just well, you had a whole bunch of Colombians there and a few uh, Haitian American nationals that were able to pull that little thing off. I mean, God, God only knows. I mean, I mean, just the connections to Colombia. I mean, you and I both know Colombia is on again up another place that's on the verge of civil war, and another place with the the U.S. having decades, decades U.S. intel having decades worth of of reach. Within the within the inner workings of that country for several several years, um, and it's also pretty interesting. Like what happened in Cuba? Also, I, I yes. missed that one. Completely out of the blue, and uh, again, I need my you know, as the old saying goes, my Spanish is not so good. Um, it appeared to be spontaneous. You know, several problems here, folks. Anytime a country like Cuba has spontaneous demonstrations, my my first question is how. I mean, they, they have a very strong police state in Cuba, unless it, you know, there was some event we were unaware of that caused that to happen. But the protests appear to be anti-government uh, and calling for an end of communism and, and an opening of a free market. Um, my first reaction to that is suspicion. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the White House's response was, no, that's not what the protesters are saying. They're just concerned about uh, getting their COVID shots, which is complete BS. Um but yeah, uh, we had the events in Cuba. There's a couple others out there that have happened like that just in the past uh, few days. And so it's, you know, is is the Haiti thing an isolated event? Well, there had to have been a lot of money on the line for that to happen. Um, yeah, it's Haiti. I mean, it's not like you took out the premier of France or something, but uh, it's still going to catch a lot of people's attention and it's embarrassing and it draws attention to things people don't want to don't want to deal with. So something had to have been important enough for him to be removed. And of course, there's a free for all in Haitian politics right now over who's going to take over. And we need to see more of what's going on in Cuba, because that just seems very strange. Yeah, that that's that that's happening now. And or is this uh, some kind of a measure to distract from something else? And then, of course, we have my my popular topic about Taiwan. Mm -hmm. um, where you have a number of, of animated folks out there saying the Chinese Chinese are about to invade at any moment. Um, <laughs> I don't know necessarily that that's, that's in this the case, case, the West has all the clocks and China has all the time. <laughs> well, and, and the other thing too is, is China, you know, the, the China Taiwan issue, regardless of what talking heads and politicians say, it reminds me of the old political joke in the Soviet union, where when people used to stand in line waiting for toilet paper or bread or whatever, they used to, you know, tell jokes to each other because they had to pass the time somehow. And there was this old joke where a professor at Moscow university is speaking to his students and talks about, uh, 
you know, various concepts of communism. And one of the, the students raises his hand and says, is it true we can create true communism uh, in the Soviet Union? And the professor says, yes, of course, but could we do it to the Ukrainians first? Because uh, it's like, yeah, it's, it's philosophically possible, but I don't know that you want to attempt it. And so it's the same thing here. Yeah, invading Taiwan sounds good on paper, but as we saw with the Ever Given uh, cargo ship blocking up the Suez and the, the current problems that I've referenced many times about uh, microprocessors. Um, Ty, you know, and in fact, last October, uh, I mentioned on my first program here with CJ and V uh, on Rogue about the the dead man switches that Taiwan may have. A dead man switch is not necessarily hackers and it's not necessarily a nuclear weapon. A dead man switch could be give me three or four major canals in the world and Taiwan just just drops the ships right there in the in the canal. Mm-hmm. You could tie up global traffic forever. I mean, it's yeah. a self-inflicted wound. But if Taiwan knows they're going down, they they could really put a hurt on the global economy beyond what we've already seen. So, yeah. you know, have they kind of broadcast, in my opinion, how far they're willing to go? Yes. Uh, is China under a lot of pressure internally? to finally resolve the Taiwan matter? Yes. Um, are a lot of talking heads, including Bill Gates, mentioning, hey, we're going to start building chips, you know, wherever, mainland China or Texas. Okay, but it's going to take you three to four years to build that plant. And given the clean room and the other environmental controls you have to put in place. Oh, and <laughs> by the way, uh, the plant you're building and the equipment that it uses, you also require microprocessors. So <laughs> this is going to exactly. take a while. <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, it's, I don't want to say it's all talk and it's all saber rattling. I mean, people are jockeying for position, but, but nobody, um, uh, nobody is really, I don't think seriously. In fact, most foreign policy stuff I've seen is said for, for China, even an attempt to go after Taiwan, they're going to have to blockade the island. And if China starts blockading Taiwan, everybody and their brother's going to know that's where it's headed. Right. Right. Which, you know, it, it, it makes no sense to take over Taiwan with a direct confrontation. And I know for a fact that all the, the Chinese with all their saber rattling, it's economic suicide. You're not going to uh, blow off your head to spite your nose, you know. And um, when you look at the fact that, look, there's an old saying that I think you brought it up. Billionaires just don't just don't simply knock off billionaires because of the systemic uh, problems that that would cause. Imagine a country that's as vital as Taiwan, you know, not only with the semiconductors, but a lot of, you know, high-tech development happens over there. Many factories for Chinese tech companies are also stationed there, uh, BBK being one of them, uh, Lenovo is another one. I mean, there's many of them, Asus, uh, there's a lot of them that are that are stationed that are producing in Taiwan. To knock off Taiwan or create some sort of battle or warfare, they, Taiwan is just too damn developed and intertwine in the global equan- in the economy just to have an overt, over-the-top physical confrontation over. It, 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 they are, in the, I think, what the uh, the uh, CPC or whatever they're calling themselves this week is uh, in the long play in regards to Taiwan. Well, and then the other thing that um, folks may or may not be aware of, which is Taiwan is one of the biggest investors in China. Yep, exactly. So- you know, it's, again, it's the old joke about politicians are saying what they have to say, but whether or not that's actually going to manifest itself into something, um, who knows? Yep. And then, of, and then of course, we've got the uh, the never-ending goings-on there in Europe with Italy and so on, and, and uh, what do you call it, uh, various scandals and things. Uh, there was, I'm, I'm not in a position to cover it with all of you today, but there's, um, there's a quite bit more coming out yet again. Uh, about Vatican investigations, you may recall my, Ooh, my piece. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. The piece I did a while back about how the Vatican is broke. Uh, they, they were going to the European Union for for money. Love uh, it. And, and then, if you dug a little further, um, the head of not the Vatican Bank, but the person at the Vatican that works or coordinates with the Vatican Bank, had been involved in real estate deals in London that later turned out to be involved with Russian organized crime, and they all fell through. Um, there was a, a comment in the Italian media last week or the week prior that the Vatican is like ready to turn their, like hand their officials over and not prosecute them inside the Vatican, but let Italian judges prosecute. Good. Good. Uh, rightfully so the dirty Vatican and the dirty Vatican bank and all their dealings. Disgusting. 
absolutely disgusting. And I, and it's interesting as well because as long as uh as, as you know all the uh, information is coming out about these residential homes, um in in Canada, uh, resident homes in Canada where um was I, I'm sorry it was it resident or or administrative homes in Canada for these uh these native children over there. Oh oh yeah yeah I know Matthew's been administrative. Yep. Also, we got a quick question from Green Machine V and Velas. Do you think Turkmenistan could be a flashpoint given the refugees streaming in from Afghanistan? Uh, no. Uh, the reason, my personal opinion, is uh, the Russian forces over there that are in Turkmenistan have been activated. Uh, the Taliban, you know, it's pretty funny, man, right? The whole thing with the U.S. break, you know, it's falling apart. It, it's kind of broken down. And immediately as, a, as the Taliban started to gain ground, they, they struck deals with two major world powers. Can you guess who they are? You tell me. <laughs> Russia and China. Ah. They told the Russians from a military standpoint, said, hey, look, we're not going to allow anybody to flow uh, into the neighboring Soviets, former Soviet satellite states. We're going to prevent that, number one. And number two, uh, we're not going to allow any terror groups to come and, 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 and stay within uh, Afghanistan. You know, they also know the Chinese have a problem with that as well. And what they told China is, look, we'll we'll quite a lot of the problems here we're going to come in a little bit more moderate but we want you to come in and invest so it's a different taliban than the taliban we've seen 20 years ago they're going to be brutal they're crazy far-right nut job islamists so you know people are going to go back under suffering but it's amazing to see that quickly they're cutting deals with the russians and the chinese yeah and i'd also add that um this is often the case between countries and the various players in those countries. The the Tajiks, the Uzbekistanis, and the others there in the in the stands. Um, most of them have very strong, almost warlord like leaders. Number one, number two, um, not big on oil though they have it. Uh, they are much richer in natural resources and minerals. Now, one of the things we covered here on Rogue a month or so ago was the fact that. There's been some dust-ups between those countries because given the various global supply chain challenges and shortages that are out there right now, uh, I believe it was the Tajiks and the Uzbeks were kind of threatening each other where it was like, if you don't send us the grain we asked for because we need it for food, we're not sending you the raw materials that we normally send you for your industries and things. Now, from what I've read, Russia got involved and kind of acted as a mediator uh, and straightened that out. Now, as far as the Afghan situation is concerned, Pretty much, I think everybody in that region is going to try and contain the situation. But but the part of the conversation, as I'm often fond of saying, that's not being had is to what degree is the ISI, the Pakistani Intelligence Service, involved in this and what are their long term goals? There's been some of you may or may not have seen there's been a lot of uh, <laughs> there's been a lot of diplomats and other people flying around various capitals lately Um Pakistan had some people uh, meeting in China, and then India sent people to China after the Pakistanis left. There's been a lot of back-behind-the-scenes negotiations and discussions going on. Now, what has been reached, unless you're a fly on the wall, you probably wouldn't know. But first and foremost right now is to simply contain everything inside Afghanistan and not, and not let it out. But China, I mean, it kills me. The United States conducted a series of very extensive surveys of Afghanistan, both from satellite as well as with, with ground-penetrating radar and aircraft. And there was this debriefing. It's in the public domain. I, you'd have to go find it. It's on YouTube or something, or possibly even C-SPAN, where one of our senior military commanders was asked by one of the mainstream media people, you know, well, how could we possibly bring stability to Afghanistan because the country's never had stability? And his comment was, well, the natural resources. And it goes back to my thing about, you know, you need mining vehicles to sit up high off the ground so that if you do get hit by a mine, you just put the tire back on and drive, drive along. Um, China now knows exactly where all the natural resource wealth is in Afghanistan, both between what Russia discovered when they were in there in the 80s and now our, our far more uh, uh, deep scans, if you will, and, and with a high degree of fidelity in, in the data. So there have been some articles out there talking about the fact that China wants to explore or work with whoever, <laughs> when the dust settles, whoever's running Afghanistan. And the funny thing is, you know, given, given China's propensity for needing to get their hands on natural resources and energy by any means necessary, and I mean that, um, 
you know, Afghanistan is geographically closer uh, than Africa and some other countries. And the, the big thing that China needs outside of oil is they rare need earth. rare earths. Yeah. And Afghanistan's got more rare earth than, than probably even South Africa. Yep. So definitely over the next six months, it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. You know who also has a massive amount of rare earth valued that we know of at, a, at least about $9 trillion? Unfamiliar. North Korea. Really? Yep. I was going to say, the big, the big thing about North Korea during World War II was um, Japan was able to leverage the waterfalls uh, in the country in order to create uh, power. And that's where, I don't want to go there, but there are various medical research groups were operating, but, but also uh, Japan's attempt at building a nuclear bomb. Uh, most of that was in was in North Korea uh, because they were able to do it in mountainous regions with with water driven power generation and so on. It's one of the reasons why Stalin wanted to get his hands on on North Korea was to get access to whatever Japan was working on. Yep, absolutely. Hobo sermons in light of the Afghan withdrawal. Will the U.S. do the same for Southeast Asia or put more in? Hard to say. Um, I think a classic example to look at is is the Philippines. Um, the Philippines tells the United States to get out, uh, we leave, then their tax revenues plummet, and then the Philippines turns around and says, Could, would you guys please come back? Um, I mean, it's always a good strategic base for us to have, but you know, when the folks in Foreign Policy Magazine and other policy publications are talking about strategic this and strategic that it's like no man it has nothing to do with it it's they need revenue and they yep. need they need bored u.s military personnel uh buying stuff from their stuff. i mean philippines is in a funny precarious situation with duarte it, it really is <laughs> they they are um and if the government was a little bit more in control they might have reined him in a touch but yeah, I mean, the Philippines has the same challenge as Indonesia. I mean, we think of it as as the main islands and stuff, but there's a lot of smaller yep. islands. That's that's how these radicalized groups uh, before 9-11 were able to set up shop out there. They yep, Minandau. Yeah, they were just sitting on some island somewhere and everybody just kind of left them alone because it's like, well, they haven't really bothered us. And then the United States came in and said, you know, hey, this looks good on paper if we blow these guys off that island. So very well anyway. said. Fellas, thank you, man. Great, great program. Once again, you covered a whole litany of topics. And, folks, again, if you want to get a hold of Velas, uh, and he is literally there within the Discord group in Rogue News, uh, just email CJ, CJ at roguenews.com. And also make sure you check us out, roguenews.com as well. And our paid sponsors, mycbedibles.com. And with that being said, CJ, take it away. <laughs>